we'd like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Hello and welcome to our broadcast. I'm your host, Brett Barrow, founder of HerFeed. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. If you have any questions regarding medical conditions or treatment plans, please consult your physician. Participating in this event with these clinicians or with this clinician does not create a physician-patient relationship. Now that we have that out of the way, joining me today is Dr. Robin Henderson, who serves as the Chief Executive of Behavioral Health for Providence, Oregon. Hello, Dr. Robin. How are you? Oh, hello, Brett. It's so good to be with you today. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Hanging in there? (laughs) I am hanging in there. You know, I have my second dose of the Moderna vaccine two days ago, and uh, I feel great. There's an army of little agents running around my body, making <laughs> sure that I'm fully vaccinated so that I could be be part of the, you know, part of getting back to, to normal. And I am so excited because I'm going to go volunteer in more vaccine clinics and get more p- people vaccinated. That's incredible. Actually, it's funny because we are going, we're, our topic today is about social isolation and how it affects our mental health. And I do think that um, when we're able to do things that make us feel good, such as helping others, uh, it definitely does boost our uh, overall mental health. But um, before we actually get into this whole conversation, for people that don't know you, can you tell us a little bit more about what your role here is at Providence? So I am the Chief Executive of Behavioral Health for Providence here in Oregon. Everything that happens in behavioral health at some level comes through me uh, in Oregon. I work uh, with our inpatient, our outpatient, all the different types of services that we have. I am also the chief clinical officer for Work To Be Well, which empowers young people, primarily teens, to talk about mental health, to advocate for themselves, and to really be empowered to embrace uh, their mental health as part of their whole person and who they are. And uh, we have a fabulous National Student Advisory Board that we work with, and I get really inspired by them all the time. That's amazing. I mean, I know when I was younger, mental health was something you didn't really talk about. And I do think that in the last year, especially, although mental health was definitely a topic that became more and more prevalent in the news and just amongst peers and on social media and stuff, I do think this last year has really sort of shot, brought it to the forefront. Um, And I know that in a lot of conversations, they've said that there's almost like a second pandemic happening, which is mental health, um, you know, in addition to COVID-19. so today we're talking about social social isolation and um, how it affects our mental health. But what, you know, I don't think I personally realized how um, important social interaction really was until I realized, until it was kind of gone um, yeah. and how it definitely can impact us. And so are you, 
are you seeing that as well or am i the only person here that is uh, struggling a little bit more than uh, normally i think all of us are struggling at some level with the social isolation uh, that's come about because of covid 19. all of us have to take you know when you think about going out you have to consider am i going to be with people in my bubble am i going to be in a safe place um, all of our normal social cues have changed when we're out in public, or can you even go in public to begin with? Uh, and so if you're feeling socially isolated, if you're feeling like everything shifted and you just don't see the normal people that you used to see anymore, congratulations. You live in 2020, 2021, where social isolation has become the new normal. Mm -hmm. And that has impacted our mental health. It really has. I think it's kind of raised that that level of of where you know if this is your baseline and normal right here if this is your baseline and normal right here your new baseline is is here or maybe even higher and that impacts your stress level too i you know when we were when i was preparing for this chat with you other than from my own experience when i was doing research i think some people sort of and my i'm sure i have too sort of group isolation and loneliness as the same thing. Can you explain why it's kind of not the same thing? Because there is a difference. Oh, there's definitely a difference. You can be in a room full of people and be completely lonely. And loneliness is, is a very, I mean, loneliness and social isolation, I think have some components that come together. People who are lonely and get into a, a piece of loneliness tend to socially isolate. Social isolation can lead to loneliness, but they're two very separate and distinct things. And what we know about, about loneliness is loneliness has some significant um, health impacts that, that we can talk about too. With social isolation, there's, there's a level in social isolation that um, I think is, is almost like, if, if we look at this like a continuum, social isolation is over here and, and loneliness is something that's more, uh, pathological almost in, in, in terms of that um, depth of feeling that you have inside. But you can be in an entirely room full of people, you can be in a house with a whole bunch of other people, and you can be incredibly lonely. Uh, and that's a very different thing. Yeah, and I feel like one thing I've been seeing a lot, or it seems like a lot of people feel really lonely within the social isolation, but a lot of people feel lonely within their relationships in some ways. Yes. Um, which I've been seeing a lot of. Um, but obviously you're the expert here. I mean, have, are there certain age groups? Are there certain groups of people that you're seeing this is impacting more than others? Absolutely. I think social isolation and loneliness both are, are impacting the older population. You know, they are very isolated. The people at highest risk for COVID who, who can't engage in, in even having their families come to visit. Our elders, our senior population, is incredibly socially isolated and profoundly lonely. Uh, people who are maybe even living in congregate care settings where, you know, I'm in a skilled nursing facility or an assisted living facility, but I'm incredibly lonely because I can't see the people who care about me, who I care about, even though I'm in a, a place with a whole bunch of other people. And I think we're seeing just uh, an absolute explosion of that. But another population that I think really loneliness is beginning to impact are the stay-at-home parents who are trying to juggle their work responsibilities and their virtual school responsibilities, especially with young children. Um, that's a very lonely people. 
uh, lonely feeling, you know, when you're when you're like so overwhelmed with all of these responsibilities and you don't have anybody that you can relate to, that you can talk to, who's having that same shared experience. I mean, that's that's part of what we had pre-pandemic. I could go on, you know, Friday night with a group of friends and we can all talk about our shared frustrations with whatever it was that we were having together. And while Zoom is great for that, we could do a Zoom happy hour, the ability to actually reach out and put your hand on somebody and say, you know what, I know how that feels. That act right there can lift that shroud of loneliness immediately. So because, you know, this is obviously not going away, at least anytime soon, um, what, what can people do to help themselves feel a little bit less lonely? And then we'll get into some other of what we can do to help others. I, I think it really starts with a level of intentionality. Um, I had a I had a great experience this week where uh, a friend of mine, a coworker, and I, we got together and decided to do a coffee date. I had been talking about coffee dates, and uh, she's like, you know, we should do a coffee date. So we got together, didn't have an agenda, we didn't have anything to talk about. We took a coffee break together, and it was so refreshing to talk with somebody, just like I would have down at the coffee shop in my building, right? and have that piece where we're connecting. How are you doing? How are your kids? How's this? How's that? I think part of what's happened with the whole work from home cultures that we're very focused on, I've got this meeting, this meeting, this meeting, this meeting, but we don't build in social interaction that says, hey, I want to understand just how you do it uh, without an agenda. I also think that when you're dealing with all of these um, Zoom calls and things like that, even though you are sort of you feel like on some levels you are getting some type of, um, you know, uh, interaction. It isn't the same when it's obviously just based on work, but it's also just not the same because it's still through a screen. So I think that that wear and tear of just always having to be on your phone and always having to be looking, looking into a monitor eventually starts to take a toll on, you know, on all of us. Um, what are some of the health or the mental health issues that you're seeing arise because of all of this? Loneliness and social isolation can lead to, uh, definitely lead to anxiety, definitely lead to depression, um, definitely exacerbate um, stress disorders and things like that, that whether they're, they're acute stress disorders or chronic stress disorders. I think the pandemic, um, we're all going to suffer for years from um, how we begin to move back into a normal life. How do we overcome those pieces of fear? Uh, for people who have a propensity to social anxiety disorders, uh, maybe not comfortable with crowds, maybe not comfortable with social interactions, this just really exacerbates that as well. Um, I was talking to somebody a bit ago who uh, struggles with obsessive compulsive disorder and especially you know, that hand washing and things like that. And I remember him talking to me about, about how do I know when my hand washing is becoming excessive. And, and we were talking about, you know, well, we'll really think about when you're doing it and why you're doing it. If you've gone out to the store, perfectly normal to first thing you do when you get back home is to wash your hands, maybe even change your clothes. Um, you know, those are, those are perfectly normal things. A year ago, probably would not have gone down that road and said, no, if you go out, you need to change your clothes when you come back in. We would have seen that as abnormal. But these are the new pieces of normal. So for folks who live 
with those types of anxiety disorders, it, it really is a fine line between what is healthy and what is pathological. Right. And I, I mean, I can speak sort of from my own experience because I definitely have some of the stuff that goes on and went on prior to all this. I mean, I know for me, um, you know, just the anxiety going out and, you know, my mask is even, is my mask on right? You know, as my, and then walking by somebody who has, doesn't have their nose covered. It, I mean, it definitely, and then when you are isolated and you don't have the same distractions that we're used to having, it's easier to go down that rabbit hole or get that hamster wheel going, which, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I personally know that my mind can literally be my own worst enemy, you know, if I don't control it. So I definitely, I think that um, one of the, one of the other issues with all of this is that because we are so isolated, you know, for those people, like I have a lot of good friends that will check in on me. They know that I'm, you know, mm -hmm. my family's not here and everything like that, but what can we do to help others? We need to figure out who in our circle, who in our extended circle may be isolated, may be in a situation where they can't interact with other people. And how do we create situations where we include them? Be more inclusive, invite them to uh, a happy hour, invite them to your Zoom bingo party. Uh, but what can we do to be more intentional to reach out to people who we know may live alone, um, who may uh, have health conditions that preclude them from being able to go outside, um, who may be struggling with issues that, you know, may not be, I'll give you a great example. I have a couple of friends who have children right now who are struggling with extreme mental health disorders. And once I got them connected to treatment and once I got them connected to care, I've made it a point to, to check in on them uh, every few days because I know they're not able to have conversations with people about how they're feeling, how they're doing, and I know they're fairly isolated and I know they're scared. So what can we do to adopt a few people in our world and make sure that we're looking out and watching out for them? I'm also really intentional about my social media. Uh, I want to, you know, speak positivity, put information out about how to, how to access resources, how to think differently, how to engage in self-care, et cetera, et cetera. But but bringing that positivity to that space that people can resonate and connect with is really, really important. Uh, but really is about intentionally knowing who around you may need that extra support. Uh, for people who have church communities, for instance, reaching out to your church leaders and saying, you know, who on our roster could use a buddy and choosing somebody that you're going to have coffee with every week. It's, it's interesting because I do think what you were saying about your social media and everything and what you tend to post, there is such a reassurance when you know that you're not alone, even if you are alone, but mentally feeling like it doesn't have to be. And I always say this to people, it doesn't have to be the exact same characters in a story. It doesn't have to be the exact same experience, but it's just knowing that there's the same. It's the similarity in emotions and feelings and and just knowing that you're not an alien, I guess, you know, that's the only one who's going through this. We actually got a question from the audience though. Um, how does lack of physical touch affect our health? Lack of physical touch can have a huge impact on our cardiovascular health. Um, it can increase uh, risk for stroke. It can increase all kinds of, of risks for um, basically those chronic health conditions that are that are destabil that are destabilizing that can deteriorate you. Um, it's Lack of physical touch uh, can also 
really increase that feeling of social isolation. Um, physical touch has endorphin benefits. It helps us feel better. But without physical touch, we can lead into the spirals of depression, um, again, anxiety, those big types of things that we know are going to deteriorate our cardiac health that are going to have long-term impacts on things like um, type 2 diabetes and, and other chronic health conditions. Uh, so it's a pretty serious issue. And that's why uh, pre-pandemic, it was really interesting. Pre-pandemic, I remember, I don't know if you remember, there, there started to be people who were professional huggers, professional cuddlers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And talking about the benefits, uh, the benefits for sleep, the benefits to be able to, to calm down and to have that body sensation that, that um, really helps ground people. So finding other ways to, to ground yourself uh, can be very, very important. I know I one of the things, go, sorry about that. I was just gonna, I was just gonna ask you, what can we do to make up for that, but. Yeah, hug the people in your pod, yeah. uh, hug the people in your pod, figure out who the people are that you can hug. Uh, but also um, one of the things that I did for me, not necessarily for that, for that touch, portion of it, but that's an added benefit. Uh, when it opened up in my county that I could go get a massage, I made it a point to, to be very thoughtful about, you know, I'm going to do these types of self-care activities that are going to help ground me, that are going to help really help me understand, uh, you know, who I am in my, my physical body. I think the other thing that people can do that actually is no cost are mindfulness things. For instance, breathing exercises where you put your feet on the floor, and you meditate and whether you're using a calm app or or you know other mindfulness app or you're just on netflix finding the mindfulness channel and and doing some type of meditation there's there's tons of them on youtube those types of things can be very very helpful to help you center in your body and feel your body because that's part of what human touch does for us you know i think one of the other things that um we just got another question um but actually, let me just ask this because of what you were saying. What are some of the signs that, um, you know, we really might be struggling right now in terms of all the social isolation and loneliness? Disruption in sleep is a big one. Uh, having an inability to fall asleep, insomnia, or oversleeping. A lot of people who are starting to slip into this may sleep for 12 to 14 hours a day. That's a really uh, big avoidant behavior. Another one can be changes in appetite, um, whether it's overeating or undereating. For for most people, it tends to be we use food to as a replacement for feelings, and so being conscious, looking at consciously how you're eating, and seeing, you know, am I eating more? Am I snacking more? Am I have I changed my diet and now it's a quart of butter pecan ice cream every week? Uh, those types of things, changes in our physical activity. Um, did I used to be a runner and now I'm not? Did I used to, to work out routinely and now I don't? Um, all those types of things. Uh, but also, have we become more socially avoidant in the things we can engage in? Have I started to just spend my time in front of a screen watching Netflix um, all of the time instead of intentionally going out there and engaging with people? Um, have I stopped doing things that bring me joy? I think to the... Um, at least for me, I know that I end up on my phone just scrolling mindlessly and endlessly. And yeah. I think, you know, that's another coping mechanism on some levels, which also can make bring up feelings of feeling more isolated and yeah. feel worse about yourself. Um, but we did get a question from the audience, which is what are you seeing in terms of overuse or abuse of narcotics? 
We are uh, not only narcotics, but alcohol um, definitely are seeing a spike, uh, an outrageous spike in the use of substances as a mechanism for coping. Uh, and I think that's going to be one of the um, one of the things that we're going to have to reconcile uh, as a society. People using opioids, people using alcohol, people using methamphetamines, people using other types of drugs as a way just to get to some level and some form of feeling. Uh, those types of coping mechanisms fall into the things that are are really not healthy. If you find that you're drinking more than what you normally would, that's probably a signal that maybe it's time to take a look at that and consider cutting back or eliminating alcohol from your diet. If you're struggling with substance use disorders, it's a great time to reach out and get help because there's so many online resources now available for people who are even curious about sobriety and curious about recovery. All kinds of resources available nowadays that are online in real time. You can go to an AA meeting 24 hours a day right now. And candidly, if you're struggling with a substance use disorder, that's a great place to start. You've got connection, um, you've got a lowering of that social isolation, and you're learning about some of those uh, risk factors. What can what are some of the signs that someone that we know might be struggling right now? More so than what is normal, I guess you could say. The changes in behavior, really that change in interaction. Um, are they skipping out on, on things you used to do before? When you reach out and say, hey, let's get together for a cup of coffee uh, online or virtually, or let's just chat, uh, and they avoid that. So it's the avoidant type of behavior. It's, uh, are you noticing a change in perhaps their physical health? Do they look unkempt? Uh, is it somebody who normally uh, shows up and is, you know, has their hair brushed and, and you know, the background looks at least, at least normal? And are they showing up harried and, and depressed and, and uh, really not caring about themselves, not caring about their physical appearance? Uh, but also in in what they'll talk about. I mean, the best way to find out how somebody's feeling is to ask them. I was just going to say, what about asking people, you know, how they're doing? I, mean, I do think that a lot of people have, um, or at least from what I hear, because I get a lot of girls that reach out to me, you know, because of her feed. And there are a lot of people that feel disappointed in people that they would have expected would have shown up more um, during a hard time. And I think that's sort of interesting the expectations maybe that we've had on um of, of others and mm -hmm. you know just i think it's exacerbating some of these issues that people are struggling with right now um we got another question or comment from the audience you've talked about self-care kits it's one of my favorite topics that you talk about um <laughs> what is this and how can someone make one Self-care kits are awesome, and they really are looking at how do we um, create something when we're feeling uh, out of sorts that we have, you know, when we're, when we're feeling great, let's make a self-care kit. And you want to come up with the things that are uh, going to be things that you see that may bring you joy, whether it's a vision board or, or pictures that you've got set aside in an album in your phone that bring you joy. What smells bring you joy? Uh, I'm sitting here at my desk right now and I have this lovely little aromatherapy bottle that my staff gave me that smells like chocolate mint. And it's Ooh. so wonderful because I can put that like on the back of my neck and it just, it brings me joy. I, I have all kinds of little like lotions and things like that. Uh, but what scents bring you joy so that you can 
can Im invade your sense. What sounds, you know, what is your soundtrack, your play track, your music that gets you going, uh, that brings you that kind of peace and can, can be something uplifting? What are the tactile things? Uh, I've got a blanket uh, over here in my office that sometimes gets a little chilly in here and it's super soft like a stuffed animal. And that tactile type of, of what things that are soft that, that touch, whether it's a favorite bathrobe or a favorite blanket, do you have that are, are that at that ready? And then of course, what are the things that, that you could taste that bring you joy? Um, is it, you know, a lavender tea? Is it a, a, you know, maybe it's a chamomile tea or, or whatever it is that is soothing. And then of course, who are the people that you can reach out to? And having that list of people that you know, if you're down, they're gonna be there and just say, hey. Um, I think I, I actually went after one of our talks uh, a few months ago, I actually tried to put that stuff together for myself. And I will say it did help. And it has helped just having, just knowing, I, I think also too, putting in the effort to do something for yourself. Mm -hmm. I, like I was accomplishing something that had even it wasn't just an immediate, um, you know, feeling it was just knowing that it was more of a long lasting. But we got another question from the audience, which is kind of exciting, because we're getting a lot of those today. So in what ways are kids and teens being affected differently than adults? I, you know, initially for kids and teens, and this goes kind of in a few developmental age brackets, but when you look at younger kids and teens, initially uh, younger kids, they were initially so excited because they got mom and dad all the time. Uh, you know, whether you're single parent household, dual parent household, however your family is made up, you got all that attention because everybody's at home, working from home, here, home all the time. But now what we're starting to see is it's been quite a long time and kids are really beginning to suffer from not having connection with other kids, from not having that ability to play. Kids who have siblings, I think that's great. You can get sick and tired of your sibling, but at least they're still there. Yeah. For kids who don't have siblings, it can be really, really difficult and really begin um, to impact not only those feelings of loneliness, but kids part of the nature of growing up is is social anxiety and part of why we go to school is to learn how to interact with other kids and to meet strangers and have that be okay and develop relationships all those types of things are part of what's normal in school and we've disrupted it so for kids who may always already have a propensity towards social anxiety that's a really big deal when we look at our teenagers the impact there is becoming more and more significant over time. This is when teenagers are supposed to be out, uh, you know, breaking from their family, being able to get away from their family, being able to go out and do things and really test the waters uh, of, you know, I, I liken it to like ordering all the items on the menu because uh, they get to try every different thing on the menu. That's part of what teenager, teenager dumb is, is going out and having experiences in the world and then you come back and you process that with your family and you process the healthy teenage experience. And our kids aren't having that ability to go out and have those experiences. Um, they're not having those ability to make those memories and bond, uh, especially our seniors. I worried a lot about the 2020 seniors. You know, um, I had a 2020 senior, I was very worried. They lost that, that whole last quarter of their school and what was that impact like? And I spent a lot of time talking with 2020 seniors and what was that like? Well, 2021 seniors have gone nearly their entire school year. Many of them will go their entire school year 
without mm -hmm. any of what we normally call that landmark of how you help move that milestone forward, how you help build those social relationships that become the ground when you go into college. And I think we're gonna see impact for some time to come about how these kids interact differently. Some of those impacts are gonna be in a very positive way because some of those traditions and things probably needed to morph and change. But I think some of these impacts um, may not be so positive over time. Uh, you just brought up impacts uh, and how this is impacting. What are gonna be some of the lasting effects of you think? Some of the lasting effects of this uh, really are gonna be how we struggle with anxiety coming back into society. Uh, I saw an announcement in my own school district that kids are gonna start coming back to school in mid-February. And I think there's gonna be anxiety from the parents, there's gonna be anxiety from the teachers, there's gonna be anxiety from those students. And so all of those anxieties, again, you know, think about you're starting now from here where kids who have a propensity then for social anxiety, that's gonna exacerbate that and make it worse. And I think we're going to see a larger identification of kids struggling with mental health issues, which is why we need to get more information and resources to our schools to help our teachers and our administrators and our educators deal with what is coming. Uh, and we as a healthcare community need to figure out how we're gonna help identify those kids and get them services. I was just gonna ask you, how are behavioral health providers addressing all of this right now? We've done a lot to increase telehealth services. We've done a lot to increase um, our ability to provide education, provide resources, um, work to be well, the work to be well website. Uh, and I think they can flash that on the screen at some point, has all kinds of resources for parents, teachers, educators, and students about signs and symptoms of common mental illness. What can you do? How do you help a friend? How do you build a self-care kit? Um, how do you have a crucial conversation with somebody uh, who you think may be struggling? We have to become more intentional about that. And just as much as we're teaching people about vaccines and herd immunity and all the things about COVID-19, let's think about how we also are showing up with the protective factors for mental health, which means having conversations, asking people how they're doing, and then really listening and intentionally having conversations on an ongoing basis so that we ourselves are not isolated. I think that is incredibly important. And I think that we're, you know, a long time ago, you did say that this was going to be our new normal and you were absolutely right. So uh, I think we'll probably have a few more conversations as we continue to sort of live in this new normal, but um, about, about this topic. Um, but we are out of time. So thank you, Dr. Robin, for joining us today and everyone for listening and for sending in so many of your questions. That was amazing. If you're looking for help with your mental health or other medical advice, please visit providence.org. You can follow Dr. Robin on Instagram at docrobhenderson, and you can follow me on Instagram at herfeed, and make sure to follow Providence at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you all for joining and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.